So welcome to our church, Madison Church. I'm Stephen, lead pastor. And uh, a question for you. How does silence make you feel? You're all just sitting there silently. So you're, you're comfortable to a certain point. Some of you are looking at me like, what's wrong? Why, why are we doing this right now? Some of you are starting to squirm or you're fighting the urge to squirm. Means there's something wrong. If you're watching or listening online, don't log off just yet. I know I'm dragging it out a little bit. I am surprised that some of you haven't pulled out your phones already. We talked about that a lot last week, right? (laughs) The extroverts are fighting the urge to not start talking to anybody in the room. The introverts are sweating because they're sitting next to an extrovert. (laughs) You know, as people, we're just not used to not doing something. We're not used to nothing anymore. If you're younger, you've always had access to a smartphone, a computer, a tablet. You've always had access to not one screen, but multiple screens. If you're younger, um, younger people, if you're watching or listening online, have you ever wondered what uh, people did before all the screens when they were like waiting? You ever think about like what a weird time that would have been? Imagine being at the DMV and just standing in line and not being able to pull out Facebook. How did people do it? What did people do when the pastor was talking too long at a church gathering? What did they do? How did they get through it? Now, if you're old enough to remember the time before screens, what did you do? What did you do? Well, the answer was nothing. We did nothing. I waited. We did nothing. And as a result, people were bored. The B word. They were bored. Nowadays, most of us can't even stay present in the moment for more than just a few seconds. There's actually a recent study done by Microsoft that found that the average human, so just the average one of you, a study by Microsoft showed that you have the attention span of eight seconds. Eight seconds. Any Ted Lasso fans in the room? You watch Ted Lasso on TV? You know, there's a scene in which a a soccer player, a football player, if you're from, you know, Europe or anywhere, not North America, and a football player, he makes a mistake and Ted Lasso, the coach calls him over and he says, I want you to be a goldfish because a goldfish only has the attention span, a memory of nine seconds. Now, according to Microsoft, that means that's bad advice because a goldfish has longer memory and attention span than you do. Which means if there was a goldfish up there, up here with me, that goldfish would do a better job listening to me than you would. So I'm going to start bringing in goldfish every Sunday just for my own self-esteem. All kidding aside, the reality is that many of us, almost all of us will do almost anything and everything to avoid being alone with our thoughts. It's a scary place. When things are too quiet, we'll flip on Spotify, we'll turn on the TV, we'll open up social media and watch reels. We will do anything, anything to not be bored. But would it surprise you if I told you that being bored actually isn't bad? It might surprise you. It's not only not bad for you. There's been research and studies done by real scientists that show that your brain actually needs to be bored, that your brain actually works better after being bored. Neuroscience, Alicia Wolf, 
has done research on this. I mean, neuroscientist, right? Like if anyone knows what they're talking about, it's her. And she says, it's critical for brain health to let yourself be bored from time to time. Being bored improves social connections. Boredom can actually foster creative ideas, refilling your dwindling reservoir, replenish your work mojo, and providing an incubation period for embryonic work ideas to hatch. That's how you know she's a neuroscience. She just used like four words. I have no idea what they mean, but it sounds really important that you and I are bored, doesn't it? Being bored is healthy for you despite what my kids believe, despite what I believe. According to real scientists, are your relationships struggling? Not having new ideas? Thinking about quitting your job? Are you burned out? Try being bored. It just might help. Maybe you're just not bored enough. And being bored isn't just healthy. It's not just good for your mind and your body, but it's good for your soul as well. John Mark Comer, who wrote the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, to the series that this is based on, he says, this new normal of hurried, of a hurried digital distraction is robbing us of the ability to be present here and now present to God, present to other people, present to all that is good and beautiful and true in our world, even present to our own souls. Are we so busy that we don't ever have time to be bored? And as a result, it's not just hurting our minds and our bodies, but it is making us unaware of what is going on in our own souls. We're in the second week of this series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It is a study based on this book by John Mark Comer, as I mentioned, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Great book. And you guys should pick it up. If you're looking for something to read, there's so much good stuff in this book that we can't cover in four weeks of four 30-minute sessions. Um, Pick up this book. Absolutely. Um, The premise of the book is that we all suffer from the disease of hurry Sickness. That was something we talked about last week. Hurry sickness. Most of us live with hurry sickness. Our um, frantic pace of life is actually damaging our connection with God and each other. Hurrying and rushing and being so busy that there's never ever time for you to connect with God or the people around you or even, as John Mark Cromer says, your own soul. Last week we talked about that being a problem. And now how Jesus offers us a better way. Jesus doesn't just treat and try to soften your symptoms of being hurry and always busy. Jesus offers you a cure for your condition. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Okay. We agreed that was all of us. So he, the invitation is for you and me come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. And yeah, you've heard that passage, right? I mean, you heard it as recently as last week. You actually heard it in the last series too, because I used it in that study. And I think that we all nod and we all say, yes, God, that'd be amazing. I love those words. Easy, light, real rest, like my, if your life needs something, it's, it's one of those three and probably all three, a combination of them. But are we experiencing it? I mean, like, are you actually experiencing that? Or do I just read these words and you say, that's a really nice idea. How do I unlock that? And we said that if we wanted to experience the life that Jesus offers us this life, well, we had 
to live the way that Jesus lived. It's like this. Did any of you uh, relocate to Madison from a warmer climate? You can go ahead and raise your hands. Uh, let us know. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So this is good. You, you, from a warmer place, you're coming to Madison and it's, it's not warm. That's one adjective you can't use to describe Madison. Even in the summer, it's not even that bad. But I bet when you moved here, if you moved here from a warmer climate, you had a lot of clothes that were good for that climate. You had a lot of clothes that were good for you. Flip-flops, sandals, shorts, t-shirts. And you probably only had one jacket. Silly you. You only had one jacket and you moved to Madison, which you discovered very quickly. Your wardrobe wasn't going to keep you warm here very long. Maybe um, about four weeks around late July, early August. But as you've lived here longer, as you've lived here longer, I bet your wardrobe has changed a little bit. I bet you have more than one jacket now. And you kind of know where the weather is for what type of jacket you need. You can look at it and say, well, it's 30. I don't need my big coat. You say, well, it's zero. Better get my big coat. You probably have multiple hats. You probably own a pretty good pair of insulated boots. And if you don't, I'll just give you a tip before next winter, buy yourself some good boots. You can thank me then. But it's also like this when following Jesus. See, when we first meet Jesus and encounter Jesus, we come in and we bring our own wardrobe. We come in bringing our own life, the life that we were used to, the life behind us, before us. And as we follow Jesus, our wardrobe, so to speak, should begin to change. We start buying bigger jackets and more jackets. We start dying to ourselves, less of us, less of the old ways, and more of Jesus. But a lot of us don't do that. A lot of us come to Jesus with all of our past stuff, and we hold on to it really tightly. And we say, I want the life that Jesus offers, but I don't want to actually do the stuff that Jesus tells me to do. And that's why we don't experience it. That's why we don't experience the easiness, the lightness of it. That's why we don't experience real rest that Jesus promises. Jesus himself had a rule of life. And we can pick up pieces in all of the biographies of Jesus, our four gospels, on how Jesus regularly spent his days. I mean, that's kind of one of the fascinating things about the four gospels that we have is that we can show you kind of what an average day of Jesus looked like. And in his rule of life, when we look at how Jesus regularly uh, spent his time, we see that Jesus regularly engaged in a practice that was very critical to both his own well-being as a human, but also to his mission on the planet Earth. It wasn't just a one-time thing. This practice that Jesus did, it wasn't just a one-time thing. It wasn't just something he did when he was burned out. It wasn't something after a long day, a long shift, a long season that Jesus was like, okay, finally, I'm going to do this. But what Jesus did was a regular part of his life. Luke 5, 16 tells us what that was. Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. The Greek can literally be translated. Jesus was regularly withdrawing and praying. He was going to an isolated place. He was going out regularly to pray. Jesus frequently felt the need to be alone with God. In fact, Luke tells us in Luke's gospel alone, there's at least nine different occasions in which Jesus withdrew to a solitary place for a long period of time. Luke is trying to communicate to you and me and anyone who's ever read his gospel that resting and solitude was a regular part of Jesus's life and ministry here on earth. Which can we be honest? That's kind of the opposite of how you and I live. It's at least the opposite of how 
I live, I don't think there's been nine times in my life where I've withdrawn to a quiet place for a long period of time to just be alone with God. Sure, has it happened? Yeah, maybe once or twice. Nothing's coming to the top of my head. But what about you? And the truth is, is that when you get busy, when I get busy, when you get stressed out, when I get stressed out, when we're in these hard seasons, what's the first thing we cut out? Cut out silence. We cut out solitude. And Comer suggests that in the seasons of busyness and these seasons where you feel stressed and at the end of your rope, you actually need more quiet time. If you're following the life that Jesus lived and the model he gave us, when we are feeling at the end of our rope, we actually need more, not less, quiet time. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about silence and solitude tonight. As at the beginning of Jesus's public ministry, you might know that um, Jesus is baptized. The ministry is just beginning. This is where Luke's gospel starts getting good. And we start getting to the plot and, and Jesus full of the Holy spirit returned from the Jordan river. And he was led by the spirit to the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing that whole time and became very hungry. The very first thing that Jesus does after being baptized and being filled with the Holy Spirit is really kind of a letdown if you think about it. Not the typical start to the amazing life you would have thought Jesus was living. I mean, if you were Jesus's career counselor, would you say now that you have all the power in the world, why don't you go lay low for 40 days? No, you'd probably say, create some buzz on your LinkedIn profile so people can find you and get those job offers in and people will know you. Hey, make a TikTok of that little water to wine trick. That's just going to go viral. I promise you there. But that's not what Jesus does. Before any miracle, before he teaches anyone, before he picks any followers, before he heals one person, the first thing he does is spend 40 days alone. And in the past, we've talked about this passage before, and I tend to think of wilderness. These are these hard, difficult, challenging seasons in which God has shown up. But what we see with Jesus is that the wilderness isn't an area of weakness. We see the wilderness is a season where he finds strength, which isn't how I think of the wilderness. I think of the wilderness as the last place I want to be. I know I'll encounter God in the wilderness, but I really like to encounter him anywhere else, maybe in the promised land. That would be great. But what we see in Jesus is that the wilderness is where he got his strength from. He found strength and he was able to overcome the evil one of 40 days of not eating, not drink, or not eating. You can imagine he was probably a little hangry and he's going under these spiritual attacks, but in the wilderness, he finds his strength and he gets the strength because of the time of solitude that he had. And a little bit of a rhetorical question, but if Jesus felt the need to often withdraw, why don't you and I feel that same need? I mean, if the sinless son of God, fully man, fully God, recognize his own need to regularly withdraw and to be strengthened. Doesn't it make sense that you and I would need to as well? It makes me think of what happens when you or I have a big project coming up, a big test, a big promotion. What do we do? We stay up late. We prepare for it. We wake up early the next day. We prepare for it. We stress out about every detail. We want to make sure we've got everything lined up. But what if we follow Jesus's example? Big promotion, big test coming up. And what do you do? You go away for the weekend. 
You guys will say, you Stephen, you're crazy. I can't do that. Okay. Maybe that's why we're not experiencing the life that Jesus promises us. It's because we hear the idea of doing something like this. And we say, that is crazy. Well, work for the sinless son of God who had the greatest and most important mission of any human who has ever lived. What would Jesus do before his death? Oh, we already know. He goes to the garden to pray. He's alone. He has his disciples, but he goes away from the disciples. So on the night, the eve of his biggest test, what's he doing? He's alone with God. And we need to begin to think of our own lives as we come up to the test, the big challenges of life, the big obstacles is what I need to do. Stay up later, wake up early and, and just pour myself being busy and hurrying and rushing. Or perhaps I should follow in the example of Jesus and withdraw. And perhaps then that actually makes me test my faith. Because God, I'm doing what you've asked me to do. Am I going to be punished for that? Or will I be rewarded? We're told we have a good father. Maybe at that point, if we follow Jesus, we'll, experiencing that e- we'll experience that easy yoke that we talked about last week. And you're thinking right now, I know it. Jesus didn't have a smartphone continually buzzing. Um, my boss demands me be available 24-7. I realize that's a reality for some of you. Um, I have to be five or more places at once when it comes to my family's schedules. I get that too. How could I possibly have any time alone? And I would kindly, very kindly counter that you are not busier than Jesus. And I know 2,000 years later, it's hard to believe, but Jesus was busy. Jesus lived under constant demands. Gospel writer Mark records one snapshot from Jesus's life. His disciples are so busy. They didn't even have time to eat. I know some of you have been there. You're so busy. You don't have time for lunch. I've been there too. Jesus was there as well. We read the apostles then rendezvoused with Jesus and reported on all they had done and taught. And Jesus said, they come back from a big trip of doing these amazing things. And Jesus says, come off by yourselves. Let's take a break and get a little rest. For there was constant coming and going. And they didn't even have time to eat. So they had been so busy doing good things, teaching, healing, miracles, doing God's work, the things Jesus sent them to do. And they're so busy, they didn't even have time to eat. And when they come back to Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, cool, we, let's go to the next town. There are more people over there. Now let me teach you something new. He says, we've been so busy. We haven't even had time to eat. There was constant coming and going. And Jesus says, come off by yourselves. Let's take a break. Let's get a little rest because Jesus knew that's what we would need to continue going. Come with me to a quiet place. He said, and what we see throughout Jesus's life is that the busier he gets, the more times he rests and withdraws for solitude. Now it's not easy to practice solitude because there's always going to be people in your life who need you. There's always going to be something demanding. There's always going to be that buzz in your pocket. There's always going to be distractions. And so if we're going to do this practice of solitude, it's going to require a ton of intentionality on our parts. But if we are willing to practice solitude, if we can slow down, we'll begin to hear the voice of God. If we can have solitude, we will remember who we are in Jesus. If we can have solitude, you will open yourself up to the transforming work and power of the Holy Spirit. See, Solitude isn't a bad thing. Solitude actually is the environment in which your relationship with God can grow. 
And solitude is simply, simply, simply a must-have part of following Jesus. If you're in the room and you're a follower of Jesus, then you have to have quiet time. You have to practice solitude. Spiritual writer Henry Nguyen writes, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and to listen to Him. If you have no solitude, no silence, no quiet time, you're not intentional about that. Henry says that it is virtually impossible to have a spiritual life. And I would say it is absolutely impossible to have a vibrant spiritual life. Let's take it a step further. I I know a lot of you, you're not here because you're checking something off your list. Well, I went to church today. You're here because you want to encounter God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You're here because you want your faith to be vibrant. And if that's the case, if you want a vibrant faith, then we have to set aside time to be with God. Now, we offer a prayer course at our church I was telling you guys about earlier, and we meet on Tuesday nights. One of the things that we're going to talk about is solitude. We're going to talk about breathing prayer, breath prayer. And that might sound weird, but silence is an important part of prayer too. One of the tools that we use is called the breath prayer. And breath prayer is a short, simple sentence that can be said in one breath and prayed throughout the entire day. And as we listen to God in prayer, we become aware of a word or a phrase that comes to mind. And we just pray that word, that phrase throughout the entire day. You don't need to think up a word. You don't need to imagine it or conjure it up, but as we pray, as we connect with God, as you listen here tonight, a phrase or a word that sticks out to you becomes your breath prayer for this week. You might simply say the name Jesus and focus on him until a word comes forth. Brennan Manning encourages uh, the simple process of just sitting in silence. And as you inhale, inhale the name Jesus. And as you exhale, say, I belong to you. Jesus, I belong to you. And it's centering and it's powerful as we create solitude. Now imagine doing that over and over and over and over again as you're driving your car, walking through the store, waiting in the school pickup line. And here's the thing. I bet you're going to breathe anyway, right? So why not pray while you breathe? But let's take it a step further because I know life is hectic. Let's take it a step further. What are some strategies that we can put in place to breathe, pray, or to just have solitude time regularly with God? Well, there's three things that you can do. One, pick a place, a particular place in your house, a particular place in your apartment, wherever you live, set aside a place for meeting with God. Now, be strategic about this because picking your living room or your family room when you have kids running through and screaming or a loud roommate, that might not be the best room. So think about a room in which you can have a little bit of quiet time and be alone a little bit, even if that is locking yourself in the bathroom. After you've picked a particular place, I want you to think about a particular time because if you're like me, there's no place in my house that I can just dedicate to a 24-7 prayer room. All the rooms in my house are either being used or I'm demolishing them to build something new. But there should be a time where you say, this is going to be the place and this is going to be the time. And again, if you're a parent, it may not be the hour before school. It may not be the hour after school. Maybe after the baby goes to bed. It may be after your roommate goes to work. So you have that quiet time. This is the place. Here is the time. And then we need to just make the plan. 
Make the plan and stick to the plan. There's no right or wrong way to spend time with God, but you need to make a plan. It needs to show up in your calendar if you have one of those. And part of your plan should include no screens. Because I promise, after about four minutes of sitting in solitude by yourself, you might have the intention of using that Bible app, but I bet email comes up. I bet you're reading over text messages you haven't answered yet. You know, your mind starts wondering all the things that wonderful little box of distractions has for you. So ditch the screens, no speakers, no music, just you. Perhaps a prayer list, a devotional, a Bible. Maybe it's just sitting there in silence. But make a plan and stick to it. Now, that, this isn't to say that you're going to be perfect. It's not going to say that there are going to be times in which you, you have to break your own rule of life. There will absolutely be because emergencies happen. Things come up. It's not about striving to be perfect, but it's about putting something in your life that helps you grow closer to God. But a warning here. There's absolutely a difference between solitude and isolation. Where solitude is engaging, isolation tends to be an escape. Solitude is safety. Isolation is dangerous. Solitude is when you set aside time in your life to nourish your soul, to feed and water yourself. Isolation is when you neglect your soul. Solitude is how you open up yourself to God, whereas isolation is how you open up yourself to Satan. So as we talk about solitude, I don't want you to get confused and think I'm telling you to isolate yourself. Quite the opposite. I want you to choose solitude and continue rejecting isolation. If we don't have regular times of silence and solitude in our lives, we risk, we risk getting sucked into hell, not just in the life to come, but in the life that you're living right now. But if we take the practices that we're going to be talking about the next few weeks very seriously, and if we let go of our excuses for why we're too busy, then maybe at the end of this month, we will begin to experience the first fruits of the life that Jesus promises us. Light, easy, real rest. Comer writes that quiet is a kind of balm for emotional healing. I love that. It's a balm for emotional healing. A lot of you guys have gone through stuff the last few years. A lot of you have gone through stuff greater than the last few years. Your whole life's been hard. And I think that we sometimes we look for an answer in the wrong places. And perhaps your answer lies in quiet time, in solitude. So when I feel like I'm not experiencing the life that Jesus had offered me, and maybe you feel like that today, that you don't feel like you're living the life that Jesus offered you, it's not because God is absent. It's not because God is absent. It's because you and I are distracted. So let's confront that. And let's conclude today by doing what we've talked about this entire time. And instead of ending today in a song, as we usually do with communion, we're going to end with five minutes of silence. And I fully expect this to be impactful and awkward, but we're going to do it. We're not used to quietness. And so we have to get used to it. It makes us uncomfortable, but we got to get used to it. So it becomes comfortable and God can absolutely do more in a few minutes of solitude than you and I could do in an entire day. So in the next few moments, our only aim is to be present to and aware of God.